I want to invite you to turn to the book of Genesis, chapter 50. And this morning, we're going to, uh, to finish up on the life of Joseph. I told you when we began and I started studying these passages, I came out with 22 possible messages. And I decided that was a little too long for me to preach, much less for you to listen to. But uh, today we're going to uh, look at the eighth and final uh, chapter in Joseph's life. Now, what, what about the other stuff? Well, we did some compressing, some summarizing, and then we've also done quite a bit of, of just skipping over the parts that didn't so much directly relate to Joseph. Uh, but I do want to catch you up on last week, uh, we, we said that last week's sermon was about Joe blowing his cover. It was when he finally said, here I am, brothers, it's me, the brother that you sold into slavery that you thought was dead long ago, and, and he broke down in front of them, and, and so they were reunited, and, and he told them, go back home get dad. Is he still alive? Great. He's still alive. Get him. Bring him back because there's going to be another five years of famine and, and, and you just need to not even worry about that old stuff you have there because the Pharaoh's got everything covered here. So that was chapter 45 where we ended. So uh, 46 was all about that move actually happening as they, they moved on up and uh, into the first half of chapter 47 getting in there and then the rest of 47 was all about how uh, Joseph dealt with that famine the last five years of it and how he managed the whole area of, of um, Egypt and kept the Pharaoh all his stuff running great and then in chapter 48 it was uh, a bunch about Jacob who's also known as Israel how he blesses Joseph's sons uh, Ephraim and Manasseh so when you hear about the tribes of, of Israel, you know, you hear about the tribe of Judah and, and this and that. And the other. You never hear about a tribe of Joseph. Why don't you hear about a tribe of Joseph? He was one of the 12. Well, it's because his two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, they both got recognized as tribes. So he blessed them. And then in 49, he was about to pass on chapter 49. And he calls in all of his sons and, and he gives a word of, Blessing is, is I don't know, it's, it's hard to say blessing to all of them because some of his sons, he says some pretty hard, difficult things, but he says, this is the kind of person you are, and this is how your tribe, your descendants are going to turn out to be. And that's pretty much all of, of chapter 49. And then you begin chapter 50, and uh, Jacob finally passes on. Uh, it's his time to go, and uh, the Bible tells us all about how there was great mourning. Uh, they embalmed him in the Egyptian fashion, which the Bible tells us in an interesting detail takes 40 days. So this is a long embalming process, 40 days. And then when, they, then when they, his body is finally prepared, all the children and grandchildren, and everybody except for just the very youngest ones who stay there, they all go back. Uh, and, and they go back to Canaan land, and there he's buried, and they have this seven-day long, long service of a of, uh, period of weeping and mourning and all this. And so I, I often have to remind folks, you know, sometimes we think, you know, people who grieve a little too much, they carry on, we think. Well, in the Bible times, they carried on. I mean, a lot. They grieved a long time. They wore black and 
threw ashes on themselves and even hired professional mourners to mourn with them. I mean, it was a big deal. So all of that stuff has happened. And then we get to the last uh, half of chapter 50, which is where we're going to hang out today. And it's really Joe preparing to go. That is Joseph getting his life in order and ready. And that's what we're going to focus on today. So I want to ask if you would stand with me now as we read the Word of God. Genesis chapter 50, beginning in verse 15, and then going on to 26. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, Perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for all the evil which we did to him. So they sent messengers to Joseph, saying, Before your father died, he commanded, saying, Thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sin, for they did evil to you. Now please forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also went and fell down before his face. And they said, Behold, we are your servants. Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, in order to bring about, as it is this day, to save many people alive. Now therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. So Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's household. And Joseph lived 110 years. Joseph saw Ephraim's children to the third generation. The children of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were also brought up on Joseph's knees. And Joseph said to his brethren, I am dying, but God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land to the land of which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph took an oath from the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Father God, I pray that you take this, this uh, last statement in Genesis about the life of Joseph and that you would use it to help us to see how, how we can be prepared to face the day that, that our life ends and we meet you just as Joseph was prepared. God, bless our time together in your word. Strengthen your church. Open our hearts to what you have to say to us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. It is a sad but true statement that tragedies bring out both the best and the worst in humanity. And the loss of a loved one is no exception. Some of the best things I've ever seen have surrounded someone's death. Some of the worst things I have ever seen surrounded a death. And sometimes these things surprise outsiders, but sometimes they surprise even the family. I think I've mentioned this before because it's just put such an impression upon me, but I can't help but repeat. When I was in my first pastorate, I remember driving and doing a, doing a funeral at a country church. And it wasn't my church, but I had to go to a different church. But then the, the cemetery wasn't right there. 
And, and, and so we, we finished the service for this dear old lady. And as we were leaving, driving to where she would be buried, the route just happened to take us by her house. And as we passed by her house in the funeral procession, we see the other half of the family that was not there in the sanctuary was there at the house cleaning out all of Grandma's silver and furniture and everything else. Well, I would love to say that that's the worst thing I've ever seen happen around a death. That things can get ugly and things can get nasty. And all of a sudden, people who were living good just because... Meemaw was watching, or just because Pops was watching, all of a sudden, uh, there's nobody around now. And Joseph's brothers get the feeling that something bad's about to come down. They get the idea, hey, you know, Joseph said he forgave us, but you know what? He was always daddy's golden boy. He was always had to look good to Pops. But Pops is gone now. He's dead. And now he can take whatever revenge on us he wants to take. He's going to kill us. He's going to wipe out us and all of our children and all of our grandchildren. I mean, he's second in command. He can do whatever he wants. So they make up this obviously fake story. Oh, by the way, um, before he died, Dad happened to write a little letter for us to give to you after the funeral. And in that letter, it said to please, on his account and on the God he serves, please forgive us and, and don't do us any harm. And the Bible says that Joseph just broke down and wept when he heard that. You know why I wept? He wept for his brothers. He wept because they could not understand his forgiveness. That all these years, they had always questioned, did he really forgive? And Joseph had put that behind him a long time ago. He loved his brothers. Yeah, he knew what they did was wrong, and he hadn't forgotten it, but he had forgiven it. And he had let it go. And he wept. And, and, and they see this crying, and they don't know what to do. You ever seen someone cry, and you're not sure if that's a good thing or a bad? Is this happy tears? Is this angry tears? Husbands, have you ever been there? You've seen some tears, and you don't know. You're not sure what's going on here. And I think that's how they were. They saw these tears, and oh, boy, this is really bad. So they throw themselves down in front of Joseph. And beyond just this fake story they concocted, I guess they realized he saw right through it. And they throw themselves face first before him and say, we'll be your slaves. We'll be your slaves. Just don't kill us and our little ones. Please, just leave us alive. And Joseph said, man, don't you get it? I've been trying to tell you guys all these years what you meant for evil, God meant for good. You were doing your best to be your worst. But guess what? Your worst is not better than God's best. And God's best took your worst and made it beautiful. And whatever you've done for me in the past is simply that it's past. And the Bible says that he spoke to them and their little ones with kindness. Been a nice thing even if you wouldn't kill them. It would have been a nice time to say, oh, yeah, you do owe me. You're right. <laughs> I could get you. But he didn't even do that. He simply said, man, I love you guys. I've forgiven you. And guess what? God had it all under control this whole time anyway. 
And so the Bible tells us that he kept on living there in Egypt and ended up at 110 years old. And he saw not only his children, but his grandchildren, his great-grandchildren, his great, even on one side, his great-great. And they were all there living, and he was just enjoying life, loving on these babies. He might have been second in command and and had all the power and the authority of Pharaoh himself. But you know what mattered to him? Things had been fixed with his brothers, and he got to enjoy time with those babies and grandbabies. Life was good for Joseph. And the story ends with him saying this, He goes to his brethren, the Bible says, but it's more than just them. It is by going to the tribes, to his brothers. He is going to Israel as a whole, and he says, okay, I got, you know, you've always said you owe me anything, that you'll do whatever. I'm just going to ask one thing of you before I die. I want you to swear to me that my bones when I'm dead and gone, that you don't bury them in this ground permanently, but you put them in a place where they are portable. I want you to get them ready because I believe God has told me that one day the people of Israel are going to be moving on. He brought us down to Egypt. He took us into the circumstance that we didn't see to, to bless us and even preserve us. But God promised that land, and he didn't unpromise it when this famine happened. That promise is still standing, and one day we're going to be back there again. And that is going to be the final resting place of my bones. What an odd request, right? (laughs) What an odd request. Seems like to us today, but, you know, we're kind of used to it. Sprinkle the ashes in a river, out of an airplane. I mean, there's all kinds of things. We, we're kind of used to people making requests with their remains. And his was that his bones would be kept in a special place. Wouldn't be sunk down on the ground where they'd be forgotten about, but they were going to be able to transport them later. That's what he wanted. So what do we learn? What do we see about Joe? How does he prepare to go, and how does that teach us to prepare to go? Number one, relationships were key to him. If you want to be prepared to go, you want to have your relationships right with other people. Nobody ever sits there on their deathbed and says, I wish I worked a little more. They never say, I wish I'd spent a little bit more time on Facebook. You know, they never say, hey, I wish I had had more stylish clothes. It's always, man, I wish that I had taken the time to spend with my family. I wish that I had poured into people, into relationships. I wish that that I had mended those broken relationships or or maybe they're they're mended right at the very end, you know, when when someone gets sick and they're dying and we pretend that everything bad never happened and we're all lovey-dovey. But Joseph didn't wait until that point. Joseph mended and tended his relationships the very best that he could. You know, he might have ended up being second command of the Pharaoh, but what Joseph was at heart was a shepherd or a farmer. He knew how to tend to sheep, how to tend to livestock, how to take care of them. He realized that you don't just say, oh, well, I've got 10 goats and 
you know, I'm always going to have 10 goats. You know, they had to be tended to. The sheep had to be tended to. The oxen had to be tended to. They had to be fed. They had to be nurtured. And he understood that relationships are that same way. They are not nearly as permanent as we would like to think they are. Human relationships are fragile. And he learned how to maintain his, number one, by learning how to forgive, to say, hey, you've done wrong, but guess what? God's got it. It's not on me to get back at you. I love you and I forgive you. And number two, besides mending those broken relationships, he poured into his family. He poured into the next generation. He was going to use the, the, the power and the prestige and the money and the influence and everything he had. Was he going to make it, use it to make himself look better, to go on great vacations? No, none of that kind of stuff. He was going to use everything he had to pour into that next generation. I want you to recall to mind that, remember when Pharaoh started, you know, here's, here's a new robe, here's a ring, uh, here's a job title, here's a house, here's a wife. <laughs> And you don't say no to Pharaoh when he says, here's a wife. So he took this wife. And guess what? Not only was she not a Hebrew, but she was like the priestess of some Egyptian goddess. And, but you know what he did? He, he couldn't help the situation that he was in. By the way, he was still always pretty much a slave. He was the number two in command of the nation slave. But he was still owed everything to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said, you're marrying her, and he had to do that. But what he did was that he spent his time and ingraining into his children and his grandchildren and his great-grandchildren a love of God, a desire to worship him and to follow him. You know, we all know that the ideal is that all of us, that every single person would have a mom and a dad who are both deeply, deeply in love with Jesus, and they train their children up that way. But guess what? Reality happens. Life happens. And two people, maybe they're both Christians in name, but one of them really cares, and the other just calls themselves a Christian. Or maybe somehow... Someone turned out to not be a Christian. Maybe somehow two people that weren't Christians got married and one becomes a Christian and the other's not. Maybe someone marries a non-Christian even though, hey, this isn't the best thing to do. However you get there, people get into situations where they are the only partner. They are the only spouse that's teaching about Jesus. And guess what? God can still work in those family situations. We know from the New Testament, the life of Timothy, Paul talks about his mother and his grandmother, Lois and Eunice, and how they were in the faith and they raised him. Did he have a godly grandmother? Did he have a, I mean, did he have a godly grandfather and father? Apparently not. But take heart. That one side of the family that was pushing into him the word of God, God used that. Didn't have both godly mom and dad, but God still used that and blessed so Joe lived his life in such a way that he tended to his relationships. Number two, he made arrangements for his passing. You know, it's interesting that a lot of us will buy insurance for something that might happen. Our house might get flooded. Our house might get wind damage. Our car might get in a wreck. 
You know, we, we buy lots of insurance for things that might happen. But what about death? And by the way, have you ever noticed that no salesman ever says, hi, I'd like to sell you some death insurance? You never heard that, have you? They, they don't use that term out there. Uh, it's just like we don't call a trailer a mobile home. or I mean, we call it something, you know, we all have terms. And so I had a very short time period in my life where I was selling life insurance. And I thought, what could be easier? Everybody's going to die. Everybody needs life insurance. Everybody should be ready to talk about that day and get prepared for that day. And you're all chuckling because you know, no. Unlike these things that might happen, we all are going to die, but nobody wants to talk about it. Nobody wants to think about it. It's as if we're the ostrich that sticks our head in the sand and we'll pretend and it'll never happen. And a lot of people are that way, not only about life insurance, because I'm not here to sell life insurance today. I uh, wish I still was. This would be a good opportunity, right, to sign you up. But don't do that anymore. But I'll tell you this, you do have to face a day that your life on this earth is going to end. And not talking about it and pretending that it doesn't, it's not going to happen doesn't change reality. I'm going to tell you, there is, a, there is a vast difference. I mean, look, I, look, I'll do a funeral for anybody. Let me just go ahead and say, I mean, I'll, I'll help out the best I can. But, you know, there is a vast difference between some families. I say, okay, let's, let's talk about your dearly beloved and what are we going to do. And, and man, all of a sudden, they, they just pull out a list. Here's how she wanted it, you know. And it's just laid out, favorite Bible verse. And, you know, here's how we're going to have everything happen. And other families I show up to, and, and it's like, oh, uh, I don't know. What do you usually do at funerals? You know, I mean, we, we just have no idea. And then that's my, I'm okay with that. That's my job to help people through. But, you know, it's so interesting that I found that, when people make arrangements for the future, when they think about little things like who's going to get what, what, how this is going to be decided, how this is going to be taken care of, things just go a lot smoother when that's already decided. Because when it's there on paper, somebody may get mad, but, you know, they can't dispute it really. Whereas it's so interesting well, I remember mom said that I was going to get such a, well, you know, no, no, I asked her a long time ago that, you know, and you can get into some difficult situations when things aren't decided. And he kind of laid out all of his plans down to his bones. <laughs> he said, here's what I want to be done. Family doesn't have to wonder embalming or no embalming nope joseph joseph said the embalming he wants the bones to be put and you know he laid it all out and he made it nice and easy for the family so <clears throat> joseph prepared to go by focusing on relationships by making his wishes and his arrangements known and by keeping his faith in god I want you to notice about these things I'm talking about. None of the three of them are things that Joseph just all of a sudden at the end of his life said, hey, I need to take care of this. I've been living the wrong way all my life, but I got five minutes now and I'm going to write everything out and I'm going to get right with God and I'm going to fix all my relationships. You see, the best way to die right is to live right. 
The best way to be prepared is to already be living the way you're supposed to live. And Joseph wasn't one of those folks that said, you know, when the kids are grown, then we're going to get serious about God and his church. Oh, when I retire, man, oh, I'm going to give all kind of time to the Lord. Or you know what? You know what? Once mom passes and that burden's off, well, then I can... You know, we, we can make all kind of excuses about the day that we're going to get serious about God and we're going to serve him. And, and we can do that all the way until we realize time's over, time's up. You say you don't prepare by saying, here's what I'm going to do. You prepare for that day by saying right here, right now, this is going to be the way that I live. This is going to be the way that I act. This is going to be the way that I plan so that whenever my day comes, whether it's in five minutes or 50 years, I'm going to be ready. And that's the kind of life that Joseph lived. Let's go back to his bones for a moment. Do you know that it would be very easy to do an entire sermon on Joseph's bones? One of the reasons that would be very easy is because Joseph's bones were not just mentioned right here. This is not the end of the story of Joseph's bones. You see, here in Genesis, he makes everybody swear and they all promise, yes, we're going to take your bones. And then you turn over a little bit in the Bible to the next book. Oh, in Exodus, we happen to see in Exodus chapter 13 that when Moses, you know, when he was doing that whole let my people go and finally all the plagues and all the bad stuff and finally Pharaoh said go, Exodus 13 tells us that he gathered up those bones. They were still there. The family was still keeping and holding the legacy and the promise that he had held them to, and they got those things, and they took them, and they headed into the promised land. And then, you know, you go through Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua. Oh, okay. Remember, Moses couldn't enter the promised land, but Joshua was the one that got to. Joshua took them in. And then you get to Joshua chapter 24. And in Joshua chapter 24, verse 32, it tells us how Joshua buried the bones of Joseph in that promised land just like God had told him to. And that's not even the end right there. You keep going all through the rest of the Old Testament, and then you get to the New Testament, and we get to Hebrews chapter 11. And the faith chapter, and by faith Abraham did this, and by faith Isaac did that, and all the, the things that people did. And you get to Hebrews chapter 11, and it says, by faith, Joseph would not allow his bones to stay in Egypt. But he was looking ahead for the time that God would take them out and restore them to the promised land. You see, the biggest thing that encompassed everything that Joseph did is that he wasn't living for today. He was living for the promise of eternity. He was living for the promised land. He was living for God's promises and what he had called them to do. And he was trusting, even though he couldn't see those things right in front of him, even though he was in a situation where, hey, we're all comfy right here in Egypt, and, and, you know, that whole promised land thing, that was made a long time ago to Grandpa. He could have easily said, guys, let's just settle here forever. 
but he encouraged his, the generations after him. He encouraged his descendants to say, hold on to the faith that God has made a promise, and I don't care how many years or decades or even centuries pass, that promise will come through. Regardless of how long it happens, God is going to keep his promises. And so he put his faith in God. I want to ask you today, have you put your faith in God? Are you living your life simply nodding to God, you know, being nice and polite to God, but really your faith is in your 401k, your faith in your ability, your faith in your health, your faith in your relationships? Is your faith in anything else? I mean, I'm not saying we shouldn't trust others, but we've got to have an ultimate trust. We've got to have a bedrock for what all of the other stuff in our life, a foundation for all of it. The reason Joseph was able to say, hey, I've got all this money, position, and power, but I don't need to build monuments to my name. The reason he was able to say, hey, I know I could have a real fancy tombstone here in Egypt, but just build me a little box. The reason he was able to say, hey, yeah, you guys basically almost murdered me and then you sold me into slavery, but it's all good. The reason he could say all of those things is because his trust was in God. Not in his circumstances, not even in his family, not even in his finances or in his career. His trust was in God. What he'd done in the past, what he was doing today, and what he was going to do in the future. Joe was prepared to go. Are you? Are you? And if you're not, what you going to do about it? I want to tell you, a lot of Christian people believe that the great result of a worship service is when they can walk out and say, oh, preacher, you stepped on my toe. Oh, I was feeling that today. I, that was emotional. That touched me. I felt that. No, that's not the end. That feeling of, hey, something needs to change, something needs to be different, that is to call us to action. Not to say, oh, we had good church today because I got a feeling. But to say, wow, God showed me what I need to do. God started a process in my life. And God is calling you to be ready for that day that you leave this world and go into eternity. Not just for fire insurance, so you go to the good place and not the bad place. God is calling you to live your life today in light of eternity so you make a difference in your family and in the people around you. Joe was ready to go. Are you? God, we come to you today, and Lord, I pray that all of us could have that mindset that Joseph did, where he could simply say, hey, whatever happens, guess what? God was in it. He allowed it. It might have even been evil, bad stuff, but God is so big and so strong and so mighty, man, there's nothing he can't do, and he's going to bring good from it. And that powerful belief and conviction guided him to live every day for you. And that's what we want, God, 
to have that type of powerful faith and conviction that keeps us from getting distracted by this world, all the trivial things, and Lord keeps us focused on the main thing. God, that's what we want. We pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.